This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read from God's Word this morning in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John 14, we read verses 15 through 31. 15 through 31. Hear the Word of God. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance." Whatsoever I have said unto you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you, before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do." 
Arise, let us go hence. You read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 20. Lord's Day 20, page 12. What dost thou believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that He is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that He has also given me to make me by a true faith partaker of Christ and all His benefits, that He may comfort me and abide with me forever. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, before our Savior went to the cross to suffer the agony of God's infinite wrath for our sins, He had some last words for His disciples, words of truth, words of instruction, words of comfort. That's what we find in John 14, 15, 16, and 17. John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, records for us the words of Jesus Christ before He went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and then to the cross to suffer for us. One of the main subjects in His parting words with His disciples was the subject of the Holy Spirit, as very evident from the passage that we read. Before he leaves them, Jesus gives lessons in what is called pneumatology, the word that describes the study of the Holy Spirit. Not only in John 14, but also in 15 and 16, Jesus instructs his disciples at length about that Spirit and the Spirit's work in their lives after he leaves them. You see, Jesus was dying. He was going to the cross exactly so that He might earn for His disciples all the blessings of the Holy Spirit. He was going to the cross so that they might have eternal life, we say. Eternal life which begins, even now already, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have no right to that. Except our Savior died for us and paid for that salvation. Jesus would cause His people to experience the covenant, His friendship by that Spirit. And He would give unto His people the comfort that we need in life and in death. Beloved, do you believe in this Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit that Jesus speaks about. The Holy Spirit that He sends forth to all of His elect people at regeneration. The Holy Spirit who continues to work with His inspired Scriptures now as it is preached. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes, there are many other spirits in this world and we have to be discerning. 1 John 4 says, with the Word of God to make sure we try the spirits because not every spirit is of God. But do you believe in the Holy Spirit as described in God's Word? I call you to believe. 
and call you to trust in God the Father, in God the Son, but also as much in God the Holy Spirit. If that sounds strange or odd to your ears, that you're you're told to trust in the Holy Spirit, that might reveal a little issue or a problem in your heart this morning. You're used to hear, you're accustomed to hearing, trust in God the Father, who is the God of providence and guides all things for your benefit. You're used to hearing, trust in God the Son, Jesus Christ, who comes to pay for your sins. But maybe we're not so accustomed to hearing this, trust in God the Holy Spirit. And though the the Reformed confessions and creeds and Scripture does not minimize that call, and that work of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we as Reformed people may minimize the Spirit's work and think it odd then that we're not to trust in Him. I call you to trust in Jesus Christ, in God the Father, and in the Holy Spirit. That's what you confess every Sunday evening. Is it not? I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Catechism focuses our attention on that Holy Spirit just as Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16 focused the attention of His disciples on that same Holy Spirit. I remind you that the Catechism is expounding upon the Apostles' Creed, and the Apostles' Creed has that outline, that three-point outline of God the Father, of God the Son, of God the Holy Spirit. And now we come to that third section of that outline of the Apostles' Creed, which the Catechism is expounding upon on the basis of God's Word. And may that same Spirit so work with His Word this morning so that our faith in Him is strengthened. Believing in the Holy Spirit is a theme. First, we consider His identity. Second, His work. And finally, God's gift. That the Spirit is God's gift. First, His identity. Second, His work. And then finally, that He is God's gift. Beloved, believe in the Holy Spirit. Honor Him as your God. That's the first sub-point in this first point. He is is very God. That's why we believe in Him. He is deity as much as Father is God and Son is God, so Spirit is God. The Belgian Confession helps us here in Article 11, saying about the Holy Spirit, He is of one and the same essence, majesty, and glory with the Father and the Son. And therefore, as the true and eternal God, Along with the Belgian Confession, Article 11, we have the Athanasian Creed that says this about the Holy Spirit. With Father and Son, Holy Spirit is said to have glory equal, majesty co-eternal. That with the Father and Son, He is uncreated, infinite, eternal, and almighty. And the Catechism uses the word co-eternal to emphasize that He is deity along with Father and Son. Along with Father and Son, the Holy Spirit has never had a beginning, and He will have no end. 
As we can say about the Son, so we can say about the Spirit. In the beginning was the Spirit, and the Spirit was with God, and the Spirit was God. One misconception about the Spirit is that since He is called the the third person of the Trinity, we immediately think of Him as third place. And the word third, children, does not refer to third place, for then He would not be equal with Father and Son. But that He is the third person simply means that He has been most prominently revealed in the Bible, in the Scripture, third. Not that He is any lesser, but He's revealed to us in the Scriptures most prominently third, after Father and Son have been revealed. But third does not refer to ranking. He is not under Father or under Son. He is co-equal and co-eternal. All the attributes that Father and Son have, the attributes of immutability, of omniscience, of omnipresence, of sovereignty, belong to the Holy Spirit just as much. And that's why you're called to believe in Him as God, along with Father and Son. I jump ahead here a little bit, but that's why the Holy Spirit works in our hearts irresistibly. Because He is God. When He works inside us to turn us from unbelief to faith, when He works inside us to make us do that which is right and even good works, when He works in us, He's not begging. He's not trying hard and sometimes cannot accomplish what He wants to do, but because the Holy Spirit is God, Almighty God, Sovereign God, He is the God of sovereign grace who works in us and turns us irresistibly unto Him. The Arminian error, you see, is simply a denial of the deity of the Holy Spirit. And it can be reduced to that. When the Holy Spirit works as Almighty God in us, He will accomplish what He wants to do. And man, mere man, cannot resist Him. Like a mighty rushing wind, that sign at Pentecost, stronger than the strongest of hurricanes and tornadoes, He works in the heart to bend and to break, to turn Himself that elect unto Him. Secondly, notice about the Holy Spirit that He is not only very God, but He is a person. He is, as we say, the third person. By that word person, children, he, I, I, do not, I do not mean that He is a human. Sometimes we make that equivalent, a person is a human. No. By person, I mean that He is one who says, I, he is, the, he is the subject of all kinds of actions. And especially, I mean this, that the Holy Spirit as a person means that He has personal relationship. He's a person with relationships with other persons. And that's the case within the Trinity already. 
The Holy Spirit is not an inanimate object. He is not a force. He is not a power, though He is certainly powerful and forceful. But He is a person. That's why I use the pronoun He and not It. The Spirit is not It. We don't say It is the Comforter. Jesus Himself says in John 14, He is the Comforter. He will abide with you. He will dwell in you. He will teach you all things. And we sang this morning, He can be grieved. That's all to show He is a person with personal attributes and personal relationships. And that first of all within the Trinity. He is so personal as the third person that I want, what I want to impress upon you this morning as an emphasis in this sermon is that the Holy Spirit has fellowship. Fellowship as His specialty. He is the agent of covenant fellowship. That's what He's responsible for. The agent of covenant fellowship within the Trinity. Even before He is the agent of fellowship with us. From eternity, the third person of the Trinity has been working in Father and in Son. Proceeding from Father to Son and from Son to Father so that there might be eternal fellowship between Father and Son in the Holy Spirit. And that, that's proven simply by the name Spirit. Think of the name Spirit now. That's His identity. The word Spirit means literally breath or wind. And so you need to think of the Holy Spirit as the personal breath of God. Quickly, a qualification here related to the point I just made that He's a person. That He's the breath of God does not mean that He is an inanimate thing like the wind or the breath you see sometimes in a fog coming out of your mouth. Although the wind and the breath you see pictures the Spirit who is a person and yet also the very breath of God. He as a person is breath within Father and in Son. So I say that our breath today, our human breath is a picture. Breath is in our lungs. Breath is what we breathe out and proceeds from our mouths. Breath. So also, the Holy Spirit is the personal breath in the Father and in the Son and is breathed out by Father and Son. Not forced out, notice, I didn't say forced out, but He voluntarily comes forth from Father to Son and from Son to Father. That's biblical, John fifteen twenty six. the next chapter, we read of the Spirit proceeding, He proceedeth from the Father. It's not only the Father breathing Him forth or sending Him forth, but He Himself voluntarily comes out, proceeds as the breath of of Father into Son, and then from Son out into Father. 
Think a little more deeply now. The Spirit is that personal breath, I say. Breathe out from Father to Son, and from Son to Father. Now think about how this is for fellowship. When He is breathed out from Father to the Son, and from Son to Father, it's not quiet. It's not silent. Notice in John 14, verse 17, He is not only called the Spirit, His breath, the Spirit of truth. Breathe out of Father to the Son is breath carrying truth. Breathe out of Son back to Father is breath carrying truth. And there you get the idea of conversation. When two humans have conversation with each other, think of an earthly, a human father and a son. There's breathing forth, but it's not silent. Father breathes forth to his son words of truth. And son breathes back to his father words of truth. That's what husbands and wives do in an intimate bond of fellowship and friendship with each other. That's what friends do. They breathe forth words of truth in conversation, fellowship with each other. But the point is, this takes place more mysteriously than I can describe between Father and Son in the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth breathes forth truth from within the Father to the Son. From Son to the Father. From all eternity this has been happening as the agent of fellowship. That's a wonder. And so, that is why Jesus says in John 14, I am in the Father, and the Father in me. The Father so breathes His Spirit into the Son. that He is in the Son, joined to the Son. Dwelling in the Son. And the Son so breathes His Spirit to the Father. And the Son is in the Father. And the Spirit in both. Not in confusion. But distinct persons. In a close, intimate bond. Of friendship and fellowship. By the Holy Spirit. But the triune God is not only turned inward, His Father to the Son and Son to the Father in the Holy Spirit. But here is the work of the Holy Spirit in that He proceeds from Father to Son, from Son to us. So that we, His people, and only His people, might have this fellowship by the power of the Spirit who is the agent of such fellowship with God. Listen now to the catechism here. Secondly, we read, He, the Spirit, has given me 
to make me by a true faith partaker of Christ and all His benefits. But don't jump, don't jump there to all His benefits. I think sometimes when we read about the Holy Spirit, we jump to the, the blessings or the benefits that the Holy Spirit gives us. And, and that's true. He gives us many blessings. We'll get to that. But first we read, the Spirit makes me partaker of Christ. And the meaning there is that the Holy Spirit makes me in fellowship, in communion with Christ, in a personal relationship so that there is a breathing forth of the Holy Spirit from the Son to us, His people. And then also, from within us, the Spirit works so that we breathe forth back to the Son in a living fellowship through our lives. That's the Spirit's work. He makes me partaker Fellowship with Christ. Salvation, beloved. Salvation is so astonishing. It's so grand. It's so astounding that it's not only salvation from sin. It is that. It is not only salvation from the depths of hell. It is that. It is not only salvation from the power of the devil. It is that. But more, more salvation is salvation unto this close, intimate Fellowship with God and that by the power of the Holy Spirit that flows from Jesus Christ. Notice the end of verse 17 in John 14. He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That's the Spirit. The Spirit is breathed forth and He dwells with you and shall be in you. Then don't stop there. Look at verse 18 as Jesus explains that further. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Think about that. Jesus says, I will come to you. I will come to you. How? By His Spirit. So as He breathes that Spirit forth, He can say, I am in you, and you in me, in a living fellowship with each other. The Catechism explains this in terms of faith. That's what we're accustomed to. This is the the Spirit's work to make me by a true faith, we read. By a true faith, partaker of Christ. There the Catechism is talking about the bond of faith. The Spirit, the agent of fellowship between Father and Son from all eternity, now comes and works the bond of faith between you and Jesus Christ so that our hearts are joined to Christ. As a branch is engrafted into a vine, so we as branches are engrafted into Jesus, the living vine. And through that bond of faith, the Spirit is breathed forth to bring unto us this fellowship and friendship experience within our souls. That's not a cold bond. How can it be? When we speak of the Spirit as the agent of fellowship, it's not a cold bond at all. It's not like we're linked to Jesus Christ like cold links of a chain. Of a chain. It's not that we're linked to Jesus Christ as though it's some... Rope. It's a living bond. 
a bond through which there is breath, the breath of God Himself, a personal breath that Jesus might be in us and with us and that He might speak to us. Remember, the Spirit The Spirit is not breath merely as an inanimate thing we see in the air when it's cold outside. But He carries truth. He's the breath of God which carries truth. And He speaks to us. And we hear Him. And we say, I heard Jesus by the breath of the Spirit. Jesus draws that out here in John 14 when He calls the Spirit the Comforter. The Comforter. The word Comforter is literally paraclete. It means to call alongside. The picture, the illustration would be of someone who comes alongside another person who is down, who is miserable, who is who is depressed, who is sorrowing, and there is the breathing forth, the calling out to that person with words of truth. And when that person breathes out words of truth to you who might be down and depressed and and sorrowing, there is welling up within you somehow miraculously an inner strength from that Spirit-breathed truth. That's what Jesus Christ does right now. He breathes and He speaks so that the Spirit, as the breath of Christ, takes His truth to us and to our hearts. Beloved, as the Spirit works with the preaching, or as we read the Bible in our devotions, or as we sing His Word, or as the Spirit brings to memory His Word, or as we look at the creation and and the Spirit works because we remember the Word about that creation. We hear Jesus talk. Fellowship with us. Church doesn't remain a mere formality. Though it is sometimes that for us in our weakness. Scripture reading is not just a chore, though it is sometimes that for us. But it is far more. It is in that way that we hear Father through His Son speak by His Spirit to carry His Word into our hearts. Sinner. Yes, you are a sinner still. But mine, you belong. I forgive you of all your sins. My face does shine upon you even in the midst of the darkest of trials. I love you. I do all things for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You must repent. And turn and sorrow for your sin and obey my commandments and live as my friend. And the Spirit brings 
God's Word as fellowship to your soul. And because fellowship is not a one-way conversation, you don't speak of fellowship as just someone talking to you. My fellowship is a two-way conversation. So when God speaks to, it, to us, it, we don't just remain silent. But when He speaks to us, our hearts are stirred up unto speaking back to Him in response and fellowship. And that's what the Spirit does. He takes that Word and He breathes that Word into us and we, we are by ourselves socially awkward people. We are. That might be the case for you in conversations with other people in this church. But it is the case for sure with you by nature and God. You don't know what to say. We, don't know, we know not what to ask for as we ought, Romans 8 says. And so the Spirit comes into us and he, and he breathes into us the Word of Christ, causes that Word of Christ to dwell in us, and then uses that same Word so that as little babies, little children, he, he makes us lisp back unto our God and Father in prayer. Suttering, stumbling at first, and yet received by our heavenly friend in Jesus Christ. And more and more then we grow in that fellowship by that Spirit. Beloved, do you have this? It's called a personal relationship in which there is such fellowship by the power of the Spirit. You have this. We talk, we talk a lot about the covenant. We know how to define it. We know how to defend it. We know how to debate it. We know how to explain how it is unconditional and it's gracious and it's unilateral. And it's with our children. And that's good. But there's more to the covenant than being right about it. I have talked to Christians outside of our churches who know less about covenant but have close fellowship with God by the power of the Holy Spirit more than me. We need to know about the covenant. I'm not minimizing that. We need to have and experience this covenant with God through the Spirit. And I'm not talking about some mystical feelings. I'm not talking about some Pentecostal, charismatic, miraculous thing or Netherlands Reformed experience. Not. I'm talking about day by day living communion with God who speaks truth to your soul and you back to Him. Living always before His face. And as I preach this, I know, and perhaps you're responding, that I can't make that happen. And the preacher can't manipulate you in his preaching to make that happen. I know that. But I preach this trusting that the same Holy Spirit whom I preach about 
will use his word this morning too to make that covenant which he has established with you, but to make that covenant fellowship more real to you so that closer to his side you do press where all is well. So that his spirit does speak to you and you believe in him along with father and son and the truth that he speaks to you when you speak it back to him. May the Spirit, as a rushing mighty wind, so work with truth and grace in your hearts to revive, in a proper sense, our souls. Not so that we can merely debate about covenant, but so that we enjoy that fellowship with God. The Catechism explains that the Spirit makes us by a true faith partaker of Christ. I say that refers to that living fellowship by the power of the Holy Spirit. But more, the Catechism continues, partaker of all His blessings. So many blessings. We can think of the Ordo Salutis, essential students, the blessings of regeneration, calling, faith, justification, sanctification, preservation, and glorification. All blessings that we enjoy by the Spirit. We can think of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All blessings given to us by the Spirit. Many, many heavenly graces, as the previous Lord's Day tells us, by the Spirit. One of the most important blessings is justification. Justification. I remind you that justification is a legal term. It is God's declaration that we are righteous in Jesus Christ alone. Justification is God saying, that it is just as if you have never sinned. And just as if you have obeyed all God's law perfectly. He says that about you and me, though we are by nature ungodly. This justification or forgiveness has been in God's mind from all eternity toward His elect people. It's in His counsel. This justification was earned completely, finished at the cross of Jesus Christ. And yet for this justification to be sounded, not only in heaven, but in the heart of each of His people, The Holy Spirit must join us to Jesus Christ by the bond of faith and carry God's Word of forgiveness that He declares to our souls. That you see is part of His fellowship. I forgive you. Justified. 
because of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.11 You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. If you hear Jesus today declare that forgiveness to you, then you know that it's not because you were such a good listener, or because you did such good works, or because you promised to improve. But if you heard, if you heard the voice of Jesus Christ declare you righteous and forgiven of all your sins, then you know it's because the Spirit has brought that word to your soul. Closely connected to justification is assurance. The Spirit works the assurance of our adoption. That's Romans 8.15. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Ah, the Spirit comes to us and tells us, testifies to our spirits. You are a son, you are a daughter of God. And then stirs within us to cry out, Father, my Father, Abba, in Jesus Christ. Again and again through our lives, that Spirit works, breathing, breathing as the breath of Christ, forgiveness, assurance. And we need that. I need that. You need that. Why? Not because we lose the state or status of our justification before God. That can't change. But because after we sin, especially if we have continued impenitently in sin for a while or have fallen to a gross sin, then we're tempted to doubt. I'm not encouraging doubt. Doubt itself is not good. It's wrong. But when that doubt comes... It's a reality of the child of God too. And so again, the Spirit comes with His Word to remind, to reassure. God forgives you. You're still a son. Still a daughter for Jesus' sake. And that's comfort from the Comforter Himself. Another blessing of the Spirit is sanctification. He's called the Holy Spirit after all. The Holy Spirit. And so He blesses His people with holiness. Holiness, I remind you, is not a mere morality. Holiness is not merely good behavior. Holiness is not being nice a good person, at least from the appearance of others. Yes, holiness will include those outward works of morality, but that's not the only thing of holiness. It's not the most important aspect of holiness. In fact, you have met people, Muslims, Jews, Jehovah's Witnesses, atheists, many who are very moral, even more moral than people in the church sometimes. Holiness is a matter of the heart. Holiness is first of all, most importantly, a devotion unto God. Not only a separation from sin, but a dedication unto God in His glory. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can the heart 
be dedicated, consecrated, devoted to God. Out of which there will be then good works. The blessing of the Holy Spirit is this kind of holiness. Breathe forth from Christ with His Word into our hearts so that we are more earnest in prayer, more devoted to hearing His Word, more desirous for heaven, more conscious of His presence, more hateful of sin, more vigorous in our fight against the old man, more eager to show forth His glory with our witness. That's a blessing of the Holy Spirit. The final blessing which the Catechism talks about, there are many other blessings, but a final one which the Catechism talks about and we must mention is preservation. And abide with me forever. He will remain close. That's what abide means. The canon speak of it as He will never wholly withdraw from His people. What a wonderful promise. This is one of the first things Jesus said to His disciples in verse 16. I will pray the Father, He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. There are times. Though this is not constantly the case with God's people every time they fall into sin, no, But there are times when we fall into great sin or continue for a while in sin that the Holy Spirit will withdraw to a degree. There will be a loss of the sense of His favor for a time. But preservation is such that the Holy Spirit will never utterly leave. He will maintain the bond of faith And He will make sure He will restore us to a true, active faith and a life of godliness again. Isn't it astounding how much is to be attributed to the Holy Spirit as the agent of fellowship the breath of God who takes the words of comfort to His people to justify, to assure, to sanctify, to preserve, and to give us all the blessings of salvation and all the fruits of the Spirit. Isn't Isn't it amazing that we have received so much from the Spirit and yet striking that we often take it all for granted. Give Him no praise. And worse, take credit. Take credit, glory, for His work. And yet, He still works. Graciously. Unconditionally. In us. Thus you need a sermon to remind you of the Spirit's work. To believe in Him. To glorify and worship Him. You need, the, you need this Word of God 
to help you see the Spirit as God's gift, freely given. Don't miss that in the Catechism, finally, that He has also given me. Given me. That word is humbling and thrilling. He has given me. It's humbling, first of all, to remember that the Spirit has given me for the sake of Jesus Christ. Do we deserve the Spirit? No, you know that intellectually. I remind you of that today. We deserve death. We deserve separation from God. We deserve a different Spirit ruling over us. We still do. Every time the Spirit works good in us, we taint His work with sin. We deserve to have Him depart from us. And yet, He still comes. Why? Even though we deserve the Spirit's separation from us, why does He still come freely given to us? Because of Jesus. Remember when He spoke these words in John 14 about the Holy Spirit, He was on His way to the cross to earn for us the right to have the Spirit, though we don't deserve it. The Spirit's work in us had to be paid for. And so He did. Jesus went to the cross. He humbled Himself. He suffered. He endured hell. That He might gain for us eternal life. Fellowship with God. By the Spirit, who Himself as God dwells in us as though we are His temple. That the Spirit is freely given means that He has been earned by Christ, but also this means that He irresistibly works in us. Think about that. After Christ had finished earning for us the Spirit's work in us. We began, remember, still dead in trespasses and sins. And if, if, if Christ had come to us with His Spirit, His breath, and, and held that Spirit out to us and all the blessings and said to us, I'm making it all available to you and now you, you, you need to take the Spirit or one of His blessings, just one. None of it would have been worked in us. We can't cooperate. And so, the Spirit is a free gift in that after earning all the blessings of salvation, Christ irresistibly works that Spirit in us, to join us by a true and living faith to Him, and to pour forth unto us day by day new mercies by His Spirit. That's humbling and thrilling at the same time. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the Son of man that thou visitest him? Marvel at that. Who are you? Who am I? That Jesus, the Son, would humble Himself and take on our flesh, and then also that God, God Himself, the Spirit, 
would come to us that's sinful and dwell in us, never again to leave us, that we might have fellowship with Him now and forever. Where is boasting then? All of salvation is of Him, from Him, through Him, in Him. That all glory be directed and redirected to Father and Son and Holy Spirit from whom all blessings flow freely. Amen. Let's pray. O God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the tri-personal God, we believe in Thee by the power of that Spirit. Strengthen our faith and work in us that we might enjoy more and more a close, personal relationship by Thy breath, Spirit, the Father and Son dwelling in us. Let it be, O God, not mere words about the covenant, not mere feelings, but may the Spirit of truth as Thy breath Carry Thy Word to speak to us now and day by day and then to stir in us words of truth back to Thee, to Thy praise and honor in holy conversation living before Thy face. These things we pray, O God, again, not because we are worthy, and not because we have accepted or done anything in time to get. We pray these things through Jesus Christ who freely gives for His sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.